Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Strecker. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Like a lot of aficionados of Thai food, I try to avoid ordering pad thai. I love pad thai. I've eaten that dish hundreds of times. I've ordered it hundreds of times. It's the one thing that everyone outside of Thailand thinks of when they think of Thai food. Heck, a lot of people inside Thailand think of it when they think of Thai food. But if I'm at a Thai restaurant or at a Thai food cart, there is part of me, maybe an insufferable part of me, that, you know, wants to be interesting. I want to show that I know what's up, that I'm not just going to order the default thing. I'm going to get crazy. I'm going to order a fried rice dish or maybe a curry dish or maybe even another different kind of noodle. I'm especially fond of Pad Ki Mao. You know, I want to signal that I know what's up. Because after all, ordering Pad Thai is kind of like saying, my favorite band is the Beatles, or selecting Ryu in Street Fighter. But very often, I can't help myself. I find myself defaulting to Pad Thai, passing up other options, and going to that familiar thing I love. And incidentally, I love the Beatles. And I often play as Ryu in Street Fighter. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that a dish so acutely associated with Thai cuisine is of some kind of ancient provenance. You might think that Pad Thai has been in Thailand and of Thailand for generations, but it hasn't. Not really. Pad Thai, as we know it, is a modern invention. And we know exactly where it comes from. It is the creation of a series of cultural reforms in Thailand that were put in place in the 1930s and 1940s. These cultural reforms attempted to alter how Thais lived their lives, how people spoke, dressed, and what names they had. Most of those reforms fell by the wayside, but Pad Thai was basically started as food propaganda. And it is the one holdover of a would-be dictatorial regime that attempted sweeping totalitarian reforms. Now, by the late 1930s, Thailand, it was then called Siam, was uncolonized. Western powers, particularly France, were busy subjugating neighboring regions such as Laos and Vietnam. At the same time, the United Kingdom was interested in some parts of Malaysia and you had an ascendant Japan that was on the march in Manchuria and elsewhere, taking over various chunks of whatever was in its way. But Thailand, or rather Siam, was independent. And in 1938, a prime minister came to power who wanted to keep it that way. His name was, I'm going to butcher it, Pleak Fibansongkaram. Now, I am not going to say his full name every single time, but in English, his name is often shortened to either Fibon or Fibul. Now, I've seen it as Fibon more often, so that is what I'm going to be saying throughout this episode. When he came to power as prime minister, he was obsessed with creating a coherent Thai national identity and making his country appear civilized and cultured. The reason for this is because he thought if Thailand remained this decentralized agricultural nation with all kinds of people living in villages, not really interacting with each other, not having this coherent national culture, they would be inviting subjugation by France, by Japan, by Britain, by someone else. However, if he could say, 
we are as united and coherent and as cultured as France or Japan or whatever, then he would be, and Thailand would be, on equal footing with these other potentially rival powers. And when it came to nation building and cultural creation, Feban in 1938 had some pretty prominent examples to look toward. One of his major inspirations will be familiar to listeners of this podcast. It was none other than Mussolini. And he consciously tried to emulate Mussolini and also Hitler's fascist methods for constructing culture where there hadn't been culture before. Now, I'm not going to get into whether Feban himself was a fascist. That would be a complicated discussion. But he is often referred to as such, and I don't think that that label is unfair. Because his cultural reforms were sweeping. They were totalitarian. For instance, he made some dramatic and forceful changes to the Thai language. Uh, like a lot of other countries, Thailand at the time had hundreds of regional dialects, some of which were not mutually understandable. In order to create a unified national identity, though, that had to change. Feban suppressed them in favor of one quote-unquote proper Thai language. Also, Feban attempted to make the language more streamlined, easier to teach, both to outsiders and also to people inside Thailand who had been speaking a dialect rather than the proper language that he was recommending. So, his regime decreed that five vowels that were in the language would just be dropped from it. That way, the alphabet would be easier to learn and adopt and render into other languages like, say, English. Also, words for yes and no would be standardized. Previously, different parts of Thailand had different ways of saying the equivalent of yes or no. Also, the word sawazdi was put forth as the official state-sponsored way of saying hello. At this time, the country's name also changed from Siam to Thailand. And, another weird linguistic quirk, up until that point the Thai language had gender-neutral names. Names didn't really denote whether somebody was a man or woman or something else or whatever. It was just a name that anybody could have. Uh, under Feibin, though, that went out the window. Certain names were designated to be men's names, and other names were designated as women's names. Much to the chagrin of people who had had a name all their life and were suddenly told that their name was legislated to represent a gender they weren't. Also, the government advocated new forms of dress, and Feibin encouraged ties to emulate Western, Chinese, and Japanese dressing styles. Up until that point, shoes were not widely adopted. Pants were not widely adopted. A lot of folks wore loose, comfortable clothing, and Feban said, Nope, we need to dress like other outside powers dress, and that included wearing hats. This prime minister who tried to change everybody's lifestyle was very, very into everyone, especially women, wearing proper hats. Uh, Thailand would eventually join World War II uh, on the side of Japan, and after this initial declaration of war, during a time of, you know, great potential national calamity, the prime minister went on the radio to say, quote, our dear ladies must not think that it is not necessary to wear hats in times of war. Now, more than ever, it is essential to go on wearing hats, unquote. How's that for some wartime propaganda? Supposedly, one former queen of Thailand uh, was told by Feban to wear a hat, 
and she said to him that if he wanted her to wear a hat, he could cut off her head and put a hat on it. Phoebin did not take her up on the offer. On top of changing the language and how people dressed, Phoebin also attempted to change how people ate. That entailed the creation of a national dish, Pad Thai. The government also encouraged people to eat other noodle dishes as well, but prior to Phoebin's regime, Thai food was fairly different from what we think of it today. Uh, this is from an essay called uh, Phoebin Songkaram's Thai Nation Building Program During Japanese Military Presence 1941-1945 by an author named Tamsuk Numnamoda. And Numnamoda writes, quote, In keeping with a civilized way of living, the Thais were encouraged to live in wooden or brick houses befitting a civilized nation. Even their daily diet was spelt out for them. They were taught good dietary habits and encouraged to eat nutritious foods such as meats, vegetables, and eggs, and to stop the traditional practice of eating rice and namprik, leaves, and salt. Indeed, the government expressed its surprise that the Thai people had managed to survive for so long on such an insufficient diet, unquote. So these government-mandated dietary reforms led to the creation of a new national dish, noodles. And noodles did two things for Thailand. First, popularizing noodles reduced the demand for rice. A big concern in the years leading up to and in World War II was whether or not Thailand would be able to feed itself with rice. And if everyone in the country was eating rice every day, they knew they would run out. But by pushing noodles as a food item, as everybody's daily carbohydrate, Feibin's regime thought that they could reduce the dependency on a single crop because noodles could be made from all kinds of grains. They could certainly be made from rice, but also wheat. Also, noodles were popular in other countries that Feibin and his fellow reformers admired, particularly China and Japan. They thought that those Asian countries were more quote-unquote civilized and cultured, and popularizing noodles, they thought, would bring Thailand more in line with those quote-unquote civilized Asian powers. By the way, all this talk about, like, being civilized and, like, being cultured and all that, it makes me think that dictators, and I do think he was kind of a dictator, like Feibun, look at their country like they're playing civilization, like they're looking at maybe a culture score in the top right corner of their screen, and they're getting really, really anxious about whether or not their culture score is higher or lower than the other places around them, and I just want to say, it doesn't actually work like that, dude. It's not zero-sum, it's not a competition, just... Anyways, never mind, not important... Real life is not like playing civilization. Back in episode 88, I talked about pasta and how we don't know for sure where noodles came from. In fact, we don't know if they came from one place. It's possible that noodles could have been invented independently in China, Europe, in the Middle East at different times. In the case of Thailand, though, it seems that noodles originally came from either China or Vietnam. So they had always been a foreign import. And the stir-fry technique that typifies pad thai is an import from Southeast Chinese cuisine. So if you really look at it, pad thai and other Thai noodle dishes are kind of a variation on Chinese food, but with a Thai twist. And that was intentional. Uh, Phoebin's propaganda machine churned out messaging encouraging people to eat more noodles eat this thing that was originally perceived as foreign, but made native, and the straightforward and direct slogan to promote this was, noodles are your lunch. 
That propaganda slogan was everywhere in Thailand. Now, I said that it did have a Thai twist, so unlike Chinese or Vietnamese noodles, Pad Thai added liquefied Thai pepper, which gives it that extra little Pad Thai kick. Also important to the recipe is what it didn't have. The original government-approved recipe for Pad Thai kept pork out of it in favor of shrimp. While the original Pad Thai recipe was consciously emulating Chinese cuisine, putting pork in there would have been a bit too far. Pork was seen as a distinctly Chinese dish, so it would have looked a little too Chinese had that meat been present. Nowadays, though, plenty of restaurants and vendors uh, make pad thai with pork or other proteins. Weibin's regime was not just about food, language, and clothes, though. He also imposed other, more militaristic strictures on the population. He believed in totally reforming the morality of individual citizens. He advocated for Spartan-like exercise drills for people to perform on a daily basis. And he allied Thailand with Imperial Japan. As time went on, Feibin took on more and more of the trappings of a dictator. He called himself the leader, and he spoke constantly about he and he alone was the guiding star of his nation— Families were encouraged to display his picture at home, and he was a type of guy who turned his birthday into a holiday. And like many right-wing dictators, Feibin believed that all his nation needed was for everyone to just gird their loins and be better people. In that respect, he really reminds me of Mussolini. Toward the end of his regime, he attempted to create a national code of honor for Thailand. This is another excerpt from Numnamoda's paper, he says, quote, On May 12, 1944, the government proclaimed a national code of valor, Waratam, or Thai heroisms, which stressed military and cultural valor along the lines of Bushido, the Japanese chivalric code. It consisted of the following 14 holdings. 1. Thais love their country more than their lives. 2. Thais are supreme fighters. 3. Thais are hard-working at agriculture and industries. 4. Thais are fond of well-being. 5. Thais are well-dressed. 6. Thai words and Thai deeds always correspond. 7. Thais love peace. 8. Thais value Buddhism more than their life. 9. Thais honor children, women, and older people. 10. Thais go along altogether and go along with the leader. 11. Ties grow their own food. 12. Ties are good to a friend and fearsome to an enemy. 13. Ties are honest and thankful to benefactors. And 14. Ties accumulate inheritance for their children. Unquote. And if the government had had its way, the citizens of Thailand would have done all that while eating noodles and wearing hats. However, Phoebe's code of morality and valor would not last particularly long. About a month after that proclamation, on July 24, 1944, he suffered a major political defeat. Feben's power was broken. Parliament rejected several pieces of his legislation. They threw him out of office. He was done. And in some ways I find this kind of narratively unsatisfying, but in some ways it's great. The guy who tried to put in a bunch of totalitarian reforms and make himself into the leader and tried to make his birthday a holiday... He was defeated by democracy, by voting. A new prime minister came in, and his first statement to parliament was, I am not a leader, I am a prime minister. Feban was soon stripped of his other governmental duties and titles. 
For instance, he'd appointed himself Minister of the Interior and Field Marshal of the Thai Armed Forces. But he was out of those jobs in short order as well, and, after he was out of power, his reforms about language, about Dakota valor, about wearing hats, about which gender could have which first name, they were gone. Parliament abolished them all. Afterward, Feban blanched at allegations that he had tried to make himself a dictator, that he had tried to turn himself into Thailand's own Mussolini or Hitler. He said in his own defense, quote, What is dictatorship? If I am alleged to imitate fascist Mussolini or Hitler, I swear I have never had even the least thought. Is there any dictator who upholds democracy as much as myself? It is me who built the Democracy Monument. It is me who constructed Democracy Avenue. It is me who ordered citations of the Constitution on the air every night. It is me again who minted democracy coins. I am not a dictator. A dictator must be much more ruthless. A kind-hearted one like myself can never be a dictator. Unquote. So he said because he made stuff that were named democracy and because he was a nice guy, he wasn't a dictator, but I'm sorry, Fibon, that's not how it works. And people close to him knew that he admired a great deal of militaristic totalitarian leaders. And in private, he often aspired to be and compared himself to Napoleon, Hitler, and Mussolini. Also, come on, the guy called himself the leader, and everyone had to have a picture of him in their house. That is not a democracy thing. That's kind of taking you to the Hitler place, dude. But Pad Thai remains. That bit of edible propaganda can still be found in Thai restaurants and food carts the world over. And here's something I find amazing about Pad Thai. Now, I've never been to Thailand. Uh, my brother used to live there, and he told me it was great. But Pad Thai has a lot of variation in it. Every single Thai restaurant you go to, every single Thai food cart you go to, will have some kind of individual spin on how Pad Thai is made. There are as many Pad Thai restaurants as there are Pad Thai chefs. There is one kind of like way of doing it, but it allows for a lot of variation. You can use shrimp, you can use pork, you can use chicken, you can use tofu. You can put peanuts in it, you cannot put peanuts in it. You can have green onions, you can have banana leaves. You can have fish sauce, you can have a lot of fish sauce, not very much fish sauce. It can be spicy or sweet or both. Pad Thai was brought to us by a dictatorship. Pad Thai was brought to us by a would-be totalitarian. But that totalitarian regime, that dictator, accidentally created a little bit of culinary democracy. A dish that is adaptable and flexible, and that someone like me orders most of the time when they are at a Thai restaurant or food cart. And, in this instance, Fabian Song Karam's regime accidentally created something vibrant, dynamic, and that has, in fact, become a defining part of Thai culture. Not so much with the hats, though. Once again, this podcast is 100% listener-supported. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to support it. And thank you, everyone who supports it every month. You are excellent. Uh, I'm on social media, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. I am on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Please do give us ratings and reviews on iTunes, as always. That really helps us out. Thank you all very much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. (laughs) 